I invite you to turn with me over in your Bibles now to Paul's letter <coughs> to the Philippians. For the last two weeks, we've looked carefully at the last paragraph of the first chapter. And this morning, I want to start there again, just to refresh our memories. But my plan today is actually to leave Philippians for one week to see how the rest of the New Testament helps us understand what Paul says in verse 29 about suffering. So let's read Philippians 1, verses 27 to 30, as we get going. So Philippians 1, 27. Paul says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Now last week we slowed down at the end of the sermon to focus in on verse 29. This is where Paul says one of the most jarring things he ever says about suffering. It says again, verse 29, For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ, not only to believe in Christ, but also to suffer for Christ. Paul highlights two gifts that God has granted to his children for Christ's sake. The first is that God has granted to us belief in Christ. This is a gift we want to keep. The second is that God has granted to us that we might suffer for Christ. And I'm not so sure that we like this gift. As I said last week, we might even wonder, at least in our hearts, if there is an option to keep the first gift and send the second back to the sender. It's, now, as you read it, it's obvious that Paul is trying to say something encouraging to suffering Christians. But when you start talking about suffering as a gift, it raises a lot of questions. And so this has set us on a two-week journey to try to understand more of Paul's mind on suffering. Now, what we did last week is we limited ourselves to Paul's interactions with the Philippians. And then this week, what I want to do is I want to step back from Philippians to see how Jesus, the early church, and Paul thought about and talked about suffering for Jesus. My, my concern as, as I've entered into this study is that, is that we, or at least I, have been too shaped by our culture's emphasis on comfort, safety, security, avoiding pain and rejection, being accepted by everyone. But my hope is that God will use this study to help us, myself included, to see suffering for Jesus the way we're supposed to see it, to really see it the way they saw it. Okay, so to start with, I want to go back first to Jesus, to what he said about suffering. And we're only going to be able to look at a few texts from different places today. So we're going to start with what he said in his first sermon in the Gospel of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. So you can go back to Matthew chapter 5. And in, in my view, what... What Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount about suffering 
sets the trajectory for what the rest of the New Testament says about suffering. So I want to take a look at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, and we'll begin in verse 10. You're probably familiar to some degree with this passage, all of these blessed are are these kind of people, blessed are these kind of people. Matthew, chapter 5, verse 10. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, at least a a, a few things stand out to me from those words from Jesus about suffering. Uh, One is that suffering is definitely not a new thing in the story of Scripture. Sometimes we think of it as a New Testament thing. And I, I would say it is true that if you're just reading your Bible, suffering and how to view suffering is talked about far more in the New Testament than it is in the Old Testament. But there's also no doubt that many of the righteous in the Old Testament suffered greatly for their faithfulness to the Lord. That's why we read Psalm 35 this morning. This is a common theme in the Psalms. But perhaps most often, if I ask you who suffered in the Old Testament, the people that come to our minds are the prophets, just like Jesus points us to here in the Sermon on the Mount. When he says, rejoice and be glad for your reward is is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I mean, we think of the hard lives of Isaiah and Ezekiel or Elijah and Moses or many others, and, and we certainly saw this a lot in our study of Jeremiah. And here Jesus encourages us that when we suffer for him, we are joining in to the same story that's been going on for a long time and into the same suffering as the prophets. And not only that, Jesus highlights that we will share in the same reward. Now, the second thing that stands out is that Jesus knew that a lot of suffering would come to his people specifically because they were connected to him. And so he tells his followers in advance that people will revile you and persecute you and say horrible things about you because of me. And this is something he repeated throughout his teaching. Jesus did not want any of his followers to be surprised. He wanted them to count the cost of following him of identifying with him. He wanted them to know exactly what they were signing up for. And then third, Jesus tells his followers not to fear this, not to fear suffering or to run from it, since those who suffer for him are, in fact, the most blessed people on earth. Twice he says that about this characteristic in the sermon, that those who suffer for him are truly blessed. Now, that's, that's all from the Sermon on the Mount. But there's a lot more from Jesus' life and teaching about, about suffering. I think one helpful way to think about it is just to think about Jesus 
and the cross, what he says about the cross, what happens to him on the cross. Especially later in Jesus' life and ministry, Jesus begins to talk more and more about the cross. It's clear that he knew that that was his destiny, where he was headed. He knew he would suffer. And he certainly endured suffering, hostility, hatred throughout his entire ministry. <laughs> but the culmination of it all is what happened to him at the cross. But when Jesus would talk about his own cross that he would bear, where he would die, he also often said things like this. If you want anything to do with me, you also need to go out, pick up a cross, and get behind me. In other words, Jesus wanted his followers to know in advance, you will suffer if you follow me. This is the path before you. And yet Jesus would often encourage his followers with the hope of resurrection and with the promise of his presence with them through all the suffering in front of them. But now I want to go back. I want to go to one more text from Jesus. Now, this is in the Gospels where we can hear Jesus talk about suffering for him. So I want to go over to the Gospel of John. Go to the Gospel of John, chapter 15. And I like this because the Sermon on the Mount, I would take as very early in his ministry. But John 15, what he says here is very much at the end of his ministry. And he returns to the same theme of suffering. So let's begin in John chapter 15 and look at verse 18. I want to, I want to notice how direct Jesus is about this, how clear he is. Okay, so John 15, 18. He says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Now, this is pretty typical of the Gospel of John, as Jesus highlights this huge contrast between his people and those of the world, of this system that is against him. Jesus knew, of course, from his own life, how much opposition he had experienced. His disciples knew that, too. They had witnessed a lot of bad stuff happen to Jesus in his ministry. But now, as he's about to die and depart, Jesus tries to prepare his followers with the hard truth that they will begin to experience the same hostility themselves. And think about what he says again in verse 19. This stood out to me this week. If, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. I mean, think of that. Jesus reminds them of what they could have had. You could have been welcomed. You could have been loved by the world. But he continues in verse 19, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of it, therefore the world hates you. I mean, Jesus highlights, it is specifically because of what I've done to you that they hate you. And it's worth noting, Jesus does not apologize for doing that. 
to his people. He knows what is best. He knows what's most valuable. I think the question is more, do we see the situation like he does? And what would we rather have? The love and acceptance of the world, but no Jesus. Like N-O, Jesus. Or the love and acceptance of Jesus, along with hatred and rejection throughout life. For a little more on this, I want to look down just two chapters later to John 17, where Jesus prays for his disciples about the very things he's talking about. It's all kind of part of the same story. Look down at John 17. <clears throat> and I want to pay careful attention to what Jesus asks his, fa- his father to do about this. Okay, so look down at John 17, verse 14. This is a prayer. He's talking with his father. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. You can see how similar the language is here to the other text that we just read. But this time it's in a prayer. Jesus says twice, They are not of the world. We are not of the world. This is why the world hates people who belong to Jesus. But did you notice what Jesus asked his father to do about it? In verse 15, he says, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but rather that you would keep them from the evil one. Jesus does not ask the father to remove us from a world that doesn't want us. Instead, he prays for protection. But, but I don't think it's so much about physical protection as much as about spiritual protection from the attacks of the evil one, from Satan. Second, Jesus asked his father to keep making his people more and more holy in this world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. He's asking the father to make his people shine brighter and brighter in the darkness so that it'll become more and more clear just how distinct they are, which, by the way, will lead to more and more hatred and rejection. And then the last thing to note is what Jesus says in verse 18. He says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So far from Jesus wanting to remove us out of this hostile world, Jesus actually sends us into the world in the same way the Father sent him into the world. And this reminds us that the mission of Jesus to the world is more important than the comfort and safety of his people in the world. So perhaps we could summarize some of this. Like this, Jesus completed his own mission from the Father by enduring suffering, especially the suffering he bore for us on the cross through which he took our sins and our shame. But Jesus wants us to know that completing our mission will also involve suffering, particularly in the form of hatred and rejection from this world. Now, a lot more could be said about suffering from the life and teaching of Jesus, but I want to move ahead to one story of what happened in the early church. I want to look at a story 
of the guys who actually heard him say these things and what happened to them and how they thought about it, okay? So it's a story uh, from the book of Acts, chapters 4 and 5. This is when Peter, John, and the other disciples were in Jerusalem. They were healing and preaching in the name of Jesus. As a result, many Jews were turning to Jesus, but not all of them. The apostles themselves began to face serious opposition from the same people who had hated Jesus. In fact, many of the religious elites in Jerusalem got so angry with the apostles that they wanted to kill them. But for a variety of reasons, especially their fear of the people, they, they, they didn't do it. Okay. Instead, they just beat them up and ordered them to stop talking about Jesus. Now, there's a lot more that goes on in the story, of course, but what I'm most interested in is in their response to the suffering. Like, after it happened, how did they talk about it? Okay, look at Acts chapter 5, verse 41. This is right after a lot of beatings. Acts 5, 41. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. What more needs to be said about that? I mean, these guys had embraced the teaching of Jesus. And so they rejoiced for having the honor of identifying with him even in suffering. I, I think just, because anytime we're in the Gospels, we always think of all their failures, all the things they missed, right? Jesus told them stuff and they never got it. This story is like one time they completely got it. Right? They understood and embraced the teaching of Jesus. This brings us now back to Paul and suffering. <clears throat> now again, there's a lot more we could say today. I've just chosen a couple texts about Paul or from Paul to try to help us to understand how he could talk about suffering for Jesus as a gift. Yeah, the first text I point us to is the one we read for the New Testament reading. Acts chapter 9. I just want to think about the story. We, we heard it not long ago. And, and we're probably familiar with it. <coughs> it's a story of Paul's conversion. And one of the things you're reminded of in that story is that Paul himself was actually one of the main causes of people suffering for Jesus, okay, before Jesus saved them. Okay. So when Paul talks about suffering for Jesus, I think he always remembered, we should remember, he was actively involved in causing others to suffer. For the clearest example of that, Paul was there when Stephen died for Jesus. And Paul witnessed that, and not only that, he was personally involved in the first execution of a Christian. So he, he had seen suffering from that side. He had seen people suffer. But I want to look again at a couple things in the story in Acts 9 about what Jesus says to Paul or about Paul. So, so think of Acts chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. It says that Saul, falling to the ground, heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. 
Now, this is obviously a very, an incredibly important moment in Paul's life. This is the defining moment of his life, where Jesus changes him from Paul the persecutor into Paul the apostle. But what I want us to think about is what Jesus' first words to Paul taught Paul about suffering and what they still teach us today. And what was the very first thing Jesus ever said to Paul? Why are you persecuting me? But wait a second. Who had Paul been persecuting? Who had Paul been chasing down from city to city? Paul had been chasing down the people of Jesus, right? The people who loved him, the people who identified with Jesus. But yet Jesus asks him, why are you persecuting me? Paul responds, who are you, Lord? Jesus says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. See, not only did Jesus' people identify with him, Jesus identified with them, especially in suffering. As we talked about last week, this is one of the keys to understanding Paul on suffering. He believed Jesus was with him in suffering in a special way. And he learned that from Jesus. That what is done to Jesus' people is done to Jesus. Christ's people are in Christ and Christ is in them. And then look down at the other thing that Jesus says about Paul and suffering in the text. He actually tells this to a guy named Ananias. Uh, that guy who was sent to go and help Paul out. This is the guy, you might remember, who basically tells Jesus, uh, Jesus, are you sure about that? Perhaps you didn't hear <laughs> about this guy. But look at what Jesus says to Ananias. Acts 9, verse 15. The Lord said to Ananias, Go, because Saul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer. For the sake of my name. That gives you a good picture of Paul's life. What will happen the rest of his life? Jesus would teach him about suffering for Jesus. Now, for some of what Paul said about suffering, I've chosen just a couple texts to give us a better feel for this that are outside of Philippians. One text is from 2 Corinthians. You could turn over there, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. <laughs> if you ask me which book which letter does Paul talk about suffering more than any other? It's probably 2 Corinthians, but we're just going to look at one, one text. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verse 8. This will remind you of other texts probably that you've heard of from Paul. 2 Corinthians 4, 8. Paul's thinking about his life. It's 25 years in or so to ministry at this point. Says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life 
in you. This is just one of the several places where Paul lists out all kinds of tough stuff he went through. But you, you learn what he, what he thinks, he says, or what he saw. There's always a limit to the suffering he faced. God never allowed suffering to crush him or destroy his faith. And Paul says he, he knew through it all he was never forsaken. But what he also learned through experience is how the resurrection life and power of Jesus was revealed through Christ-like suffering and obedience. Everywhere Paul went, he says, we've been carrying in our bodies the death of Jesus. But this is what has allowed the life of Jesus to be seen in our bodies. He saw that his own life story bore witness to Christ's own death and resurrection life. And that led to many other people experiencing resurrection life in Christ. That's why he ends the text he does. He says in verse 12, So death has been at work in us, but life in you. This is what Paul learned by experience about suffering. God can use the cross-like suffering of his people to spread new life to other people. Now I want to go from there to Paul's last words on suffering in the last letter that he wrote, 2 Timothy. And what you'll see if you read 2 Timothy carefully are at least these two things about suffering. One, Paul talks about suffering a lot in 2 Timothy. It was on his mind a lot in his final letter. He talks about suffering in every chapter of 2 Timothy. But the second thing you'll notice if you read the whole letter is that his challenge to Timothy and to us is to willingly share in the suffering. So I just want to see this by just reading the text. Okay? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. He says to Timothy, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Rather, share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. That's one of Paul's biggest challenges to Timothy in the letter. <clears throat> share in suffering. You see it if you look later. Chapter 2, verse 3. He says, again, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. But a few verses later, Paul does more than tell Timothy to do this. He begins to tell him how to do it, what he needs to remember to be able to endure. Look at verse 8. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. He says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God isn't bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that's in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This saying is trustworthy. If we have died with Christ, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will reign. 
Maybe this is not just Paul telling Timothy to share in suffering. I think this is him telling him how to endure. What he needs to remember. What do you need to remember? Because you have to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. <clears throat> this reminds us probably of Hebrews. This is the same big message in Hebrews by the very end to people who were suffering. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus who endured the cross. Also, you need to remember, this is something Paul remembered, that God often brings others to faith in Christ through the cross-like suffering of his people. Paul says in verse 10, I endure everything for the sake of the elect so that they may obtain the salvation that's in Christ. And you need to remember the hope of resurrection. <clears throat> this is throughout the whole New Testament. If you lose sight of the hope of resurrection, you grow weary and faint-hearted in suffering. He says, if this is a trustworthy saying, if we have died with Christ, we will live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. This is how Paul kept going and how we can. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead and remember the hope of the resurrection that his resurrection secured. On the other side of suffering, we too will rise to reign with Jesus. Now, we stepped away today from Philippians to just listen to Jesus, the early church, and Paul, to what they had to say about suffering and to see a bit of how they suffered. My hope has been that this would help us grasp more of Paul's mind on suffering, specifically how he could talk about it in Philippians as a gift. It turns out Paul did not invent that idea. Jesus himself taught us to look at suffering for him like that. Paul, I think, just develops that. He learns it by experience, and then he shares a lot about it in his letters. Like, what did Paul come to see? He came to see, through experience, that God often used the Christ-centered, cross-like suffering of his people to spread new life to other people. Death would be at work in him, and life in other people. Paul also learned by experience of Christ's nearness to him in suffering. Christ is never distant from his people at any time, but especially not in suffering. Christ is there, always present. What is done to his people is done to him. And Paul realized that it was through suffering for Christ that he actually got to know Christ better. This is something we looked at last week. Christ was a man of sorrows who suffered much. And Paul came to realize that he got to know Christ better through suffering. Those are a few things Paul learned over the years that help us to understand, at least to some degree, how he could talk about suffering for Christ as a gift. Now, a couple of closing words of application. Okay, one, I want to be clear. The application today is not to try to pursue 
or manufacture suffering. Okay? As though experiencing pain itself is the goal. Our hearts instead should be to pursue Christ with all that we are, to long to know him, even in his suffering, and then to willingly embrace suffering as our loving Father allows it to fall on us. But the second thing, we need to ask God to guard us from being infected by our culture's idolization of being comfortable, of being safe, of being accepted. And we need to repent of where we see we have already fallen in those ways. Third, we need to ask God to change our minds about suffering for Christ and to help us embrace the teaching of Jesus and the New Testament about suffering. And then four things to remember when suffering comes our way, just from the, the last text we looked at primarily. But remember when, when we suffer for Jesus, we're joining into a bigger story. People who suffer often feel alone and isolated. But remember, when we suffer for Jesus, we're joining into a bigger story. We're joining into the same conflict that has been going on since the garden. We're joining in with all the people who've ever suffered. So we read a psalm today. That psalm was sung by people throughout centuries and centuries. So they would all realize they were all part of the same struggle. And we're part of a church family that's on the same journey together. We are not alone. We are not the first people to suffer. We will not be the last. Also remember... This is what you signed up for when you pledged allegiance to Jesus. And we need to remember what he actually called us to. This is why a lot of the New Testament writers, they don't be surprised. Don't you remember his call? Jesus called us to pick up a cross and get behind him. To this we have been called. But then third, remember, always remember Jesus himself. Remember how he suffered. He suffered first. The just for the unjust to bring us to God. He suffered more than we have suffered. And there was nothing in him that deserved any of it. And he had the power not to suffer. And yet he did. Remember Jesus and his suffering and his cross. Remember Jesus is with us now especially in our suffering. What is done to his people is done to him. And remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. And then remember the hope of resurrection. Suffering is hard, but all suffering is temporary. None of it will last forever. And all of it together, is not worth comparing with the glory that Jesus has in store for his people. This is a trustworthy saying. If we have died with him, we will live with him. And if we endure, 
we will reign with him. Let's pray. Father, would you take these truths and drive them into our hearts. Bring us back to Jesus and his cross. Help us to remember you, Lord Jesus, that you are with us. We are in you. You are in us, with us, especially in our suffering. And help us to remember today anew the hope of resurrection. May this give us strength to endure and even to grow, to have more of the mind of Paul, that we would see not only our faith in Christ as a gift, but also our suffering for Christ. We pray this in your name.